Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I am so excited about another episode of our podcast. This is episode number 20. I am thrilled for you to hear the conversation I had with Coach Steve Smith. He's one of my coaching heroes in the baseball world. He's successful assistant coach, longtime head coach at Baylor. You'll hear all about that in this conversation, but most of all, he is a strong man of God, married to Melinda, has two adult sons, one in the ministry, one in coaching, and now Coach Smith just joined the Auburn Tigers baseball program. I just, again, so excited for you to hear this, so without further delay, let's jump right into the conversation. Well, Coach Smith, you've been a man that I've followed and respected for a while um, from your times um, here at, ba- at Baylor, and you've always carried yourself with great character and class, both on and off the field. So thanks for taking the time to join me today. Well, you're, you're really kind for saying that, and uh, it's an honor to, to be on the program with you. I appreciate your asking. You bet. So let's start with a little bit about your background. A lot of the listeners may not be familiar with you and your background. So, you know, going through your bio, you've had quite the career in NCAA baseball, played at um, both Mississippi College and and Baylor, and eight years an assistant coach, 21 years head coach at Baylor with uh, 744 um, games that you won. You've coached the USA national team and now the pitching coach at Auburn. So, quite the quite the resume so um just tell us a little bit about your family growing up and how you got started in in, in the game of baseball well i'm a mississippi boy uh you know in all those years in texas uh people would ask me you know where i was from and i would tell them mississippi and they would always say well what you know what part and because of the fact that i was born in the central part of the state lived in the extreme northwest part of the state for the first seven or eight years, nine years of my life. And then after that in Gulfport, I've always felt like I was just from the state. I was from all over. And, and then having gotten to coach at Mississippi State, that was, that was almost like home to me too. But, you know, the first time I remember playing anything was when we lived up in extreme northwest Mississippi in a little town called Tunica, which – Many people today, if they've heard of it at all, it would be associated with dockside gambling. It's right on the Mississippi River, about 30 miles south of Memphis. And, you know, I was there. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a soil conservationist. Um, My first memory of baseball was probably about five years old. Um, You know, my dad never coached me uh, growing up in terms of on a team or anything. I... I think that experience is way different than what most people have today. I, I, uh, I don't ever remember whether it was baseball, football, or even basketball. At no time did I ever play for a coach who was also a dad on the, somebody on the team. Oh, wow. Uh, and I think that was a real blessing, uh, for me. Uh, and, and it's a reminder, I think of, to me, of, of there's a lot of men out there right now who who don't have, you know, who've had children or they've had sons who would be great coaches uh, because the one thing I do know, and I know this very personally now, it's really hard to be objective uh, when you're coaching a team that's got your own kids on it. Mm. Uh, and I avoided it. Um, and and only only got to experience it, you know, in the last couple of years at Baylor when both Ryan and Case were on the team, uh, and I had spent a lot of time thinking about that experience and preparing for it. But uh, you know, I just you know I was blessed growing up yeah. through those those little teams, those those Pee Wee teams and elementary school teams and little league teams. You know, never played for anybody's dad. Wow, that is that's very different from today. You're right. You know, one thing in your bio that um, I didn't know, and even as I've been a fan following you ever since you were at Baylor, and that I learned was uh, you started in Mississippi College playing both football and baseball. So uh, why, what made you pick baseball over football when you were playing both in college? Well, the, the short answer to that is what, what, could, I really, what could I really have a chance to play professionally? Mm. 
and and I, I thought that my best chance to play anything professionally was always going to be baseball. Now, when I was coming out of, I played football from the fourth grade up, and, you know, in Gulfport, uh, you know, like most places in Mississippi and obviously most places in Texas, football is king. And uh, I wound up playing high school football. It's a bit of a story as to how I wound up doing that because I really tried to stop doing I tried to quit football after the ninth grade because I just didn't think I was that good. Mm. I, I didn't see I didn't see any point in doing it. Uh, you know, I loved baseball. You know, the one thing I could do from the get-go was throw. And so I, I just didn't see any sense in trying to play it. Well, I had a high school football coach down there uh, that when I didn't show up, it was me and one other guy. When we didn't get on the bus to go over for spring football, you know, starting the, you know, in the spring of our ninth grade, they bust all of us over to the high school for spring football. Mm -hmm. And me and, me and one other guy, we didn't get on the bus. We were just going to play baseball. And the next day, the football coach shows up down there and, I couldn't believe the guy even realized I wasn't there. I, I, I still can't believe that. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I won't tell the whole story, but uh, I wound up playing football uh, because this coach really, at one point he actually, he actually lied to me about something, and, but it got me to play and jump forward to 1983 when I got drafted, you know, in the, in the major league draft. The first guy I went home to go see was that high school football coach who was no longer coaching. He was running a gym, and I went and found him because I wanted him to know I didn't think there was any chance I'd be playing professional baseball if I had not played high school football. Wow. Uh, it just changed me so much, and, and I can honestly say this. If I could go back and do something over again, including four years of professional baseball, the one thing I really would want to go back and do over again is high school football. Um, I played with some great players. There's nothing like it. Um, I think it did more to develop me physically, spiritually, hmm. uh, leadership wise, every, every part of it, because it was the, it was the biggest challenge. Um, I read somewhere, I don't know who said this, but somebody said attempt something in your life so great that if God's not in it, you will fail. Amen. And, and the first time I read that years ago, I thought, well, been there, done that, played high school football. Because I don't think there's any way I would have ever succeeded in that had God not been a part of it. And it really was the you know, one of the first things that got me on my knees before God. Wow. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and athletics, God has used athletics. He started with football, but he's, he's used athletics and used coaching, uh, you know, to change me, uh, to make me, you know, more like what he wants me to be. And he's still doing it and it's still hard and it's still painful. Um, but you know, if you know, you, if you know what the purpose is, sometimes you can get through the pain. Amen. That's good. So, um, you know, you end up transferring to Baylor, finished there as a pitcher with a, you know, less than a one point, it looks like 1.72 ERA. And, you, you know, you mentioned being drafted by the San Francisco Giants. And maybe share one or two memories or accomplishments from your your playing career, whether it be college or, or pro ball. Well, you know, when I first got to Baylor, uh, I didn't even know where Baylor was. <laughs> I, I, had gone to Mississippi, I had gone to Mississippi College because I couldn't go to Mississippi state. My dream school to have gone to play would have been Mississippi state, either football or baseball. And I never got that opportunity. And I had one division one offer in football, which was at Southern Miss, but they wouldn't let me play baseball. And so at the end of the day, I wound up going to this little division two school, uh, in Jackson, outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And I, I try, I played both for a year and, Again, the football experience there was phenomenal. We actually, you know, went to the Division II national semifinal game, uh, got beat by the University of Delaware. Uh, you know, that spring, uh, you know, when baseball started, that, that I, was, 
I got the quarterback. I got to play quarterback in the fall because a guy got hurt, and then I got hurt. Uh, but I had a I had had a great experience there in football. But again, football was not. Hmm. I wasn't going anywhere in football, and so you know, after after spring of baseball, I uh, I decided I, I had fallen in love with Mississippi College. I did not go there because it was a Christian school. I didn't go there because it was a Baptist school. I went there because I could go there and play both sports. Hmm. But at, but after I got there, I found I found a home, and my home was really with 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 people who shared my faith. Hmm. Uh, and I and I still to this day I was only there for a year, but those freshmen that I went in with there, it's a it was back then it was a school of about three thousand four thousand students, so it was a it was like a big high school. Mm-hmm. I'm still close to them today. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and but when I when I started thinking about, you know, finding out how good I was, and that was really my goal, I wanted to know at the end of the day, you know, if I was any good. Could I play professional baseball? Could I play, you know, Southwest Conference baseball? Could I play Division One baseball? And I had fallen in love with Mississippi College, and Baylor at that time was sort of the big version of Mississippi College. Hmm. And I didn't know anybody there, uh, had never been there. Uh, it was, it was my first, what I was, what I would call first real huge step in faith. I felt like God was leading me there. Uh, he opened some doors. He sort of, you know, opened the, the gate for me, if you will. And I stepped through it. As for memories, I got a, I got too many of them to talk about. Um, <laughs> the whole, the whole experience is is so fresh in my mind even today. Um, I loved it. I mean, I, I mean, I, the first year was hard. The first year being at Baylor, I had to sit out. I wasn't eligible to play. Uh, I actually, I actually went through spring football oh, wow. <laughs> about a week. Of, I went through about a week of it. Uh, and uh, my last experience in football was at Baylor and it involved uh, getting my nose broken. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but once I got through that first year and got to, got to play, uh, you know, it was, it was a dream come true. Uh, I found out I could play there. I found out I was, you know, that I was good enough. I dealt with some injuries like most guys do. Uh, when the, when the, 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 you know, the opportunity came to play professional baseball, that was, uh, I mean, I guess one memory would be the day that happened. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I spent the afternoon of that day of the draft. Uh, one of my best friends was the youth minister at First Baptist Church in Gulfport, and I spent the whole day by myself sitting in that guy's office because I just didn't want to be around the phone. I didn't want to be sitting at home all day, you know, jumping every time the phone rang. So I just stayed up there all day. Uh no calls came at the end of the day, about five, I went home, was out in the backyard playing catch. And I got a phone call about five thirty in the afternoon. Uh, back then they didn't, they didn't publicize the draft on ESPN or right. they didn't, you know, so I had been drafted early that morning and didn't find out about it till five thirty that afternoon. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, that was a thrill. Uh, playing professional baseball. It did, that didn't go like I would have hoped it would have gone. Uh, injuries again, you know, were a, were a big issue there, but I played long enough, uh, that I learned a ton mm. and I learned a lot about watching guys get better and player development and just learn the game. I, I came out of it feeling like I had gotten a, a graduate degree in baseball. Um, and as soon as I got out of it, I knew what I wanted to do. And, you know, and the Lord opened doors then to, to allow me to start at A&M. And, and then, uh, irony of ironies, my first full-time coaching job is at Mississippi State, uh, coaching for the, the guy that I'd always wanted to play for. Um, 
you know, it's it's been quite a journey. That 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 is pretty pretty cool. I was going to ask you um, when you mentioned Mississippi State being your dream school in in high school. I was going to ask you what it was like to to go back and actually coach uh, coach under um, a college baseball legend, Coach Polk. It was a thrill. It's still. It, it would be hard as many, you know, I, I've got a lot of great memories from 21 years at Baylor, a lot of good things, like championships, great players, you know, obviously a lot of pain with it as well. Mm-hmm. But that five years at Mississippi State was probably the most fun I've had in my life. Wow. Uh, you know, when I went there, I, Melinda and I had been married for five years we didn't have any kids yet she was a texas girl and i'm dragging her off to a place called starkville mississippi um it's the one time we've moved in our lives where we really didn't have a discussion i just told her when i when i knew i was going to get offered the job i literally uh, took her in a in the bathroom little bitty bathroom at her mom and dad's house i shut the door and i just told her i said melinda i said we're going to be moving to starkville mississippi I said, I'm going to be an assistant baseball coach at Mississippi State. I said, Starkville is in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. I said, you're going to love it there. Now, three of the four of those things were very true. The the foothills of the Smoky Mountains thing, if you got a topographical map out and looked at it, you'd realize that it is indeed in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. But when you're actually there, you really can't see them. That's true. Um, But, you know, we went there those five years. I was that program, those fans, there wasn't anything like it. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm built to play when I was growing up, I was that kid on Saturday morning that was up at eight o'clock beating on people's doors, wanting them to come out and play. And you know, so I, I that I want people. I want to work around people. I want to be around people who really who love it that much. And I recognize that I'm a little bit of a weird duck when it <laughs> comes to that. You know, and and that's why it's, there's been some places I've worked that have been hard for me to work at because they really didn't love it like I did. Hmm. And so so we didn't really play well together. If you if you yeah, know what I mean, absolutely. And so that place. They loved it. They still do. And they loved it. And, you know, it was a great place to recruit because, you know, if you were, if you were a baseball player, uh, you didn't go to Mississippi State for any of the wrong reasons. I mean, you didn't go there for the party atmosphere or, the, or anything like that. You went there because you were a ball player. And that's, uh, I mean, they, they loved it. So I loved it. Uh, and, you know, it was hard leaving there. I would not have left there for any other place other than Baylor, um, at least at that time. The only reason I left to go to Baylor is because, you know, I loved Baylor. And Baylor was my alma mater, and it was Melinda's alma mater. And um, and, and I thought, you know, if, if, if we got some commitment from from people at Baylor, then, then it would, could become what it became. And I had a lot of good help there. Uh, you know, I think the timing with, with Dr. Sloan becoming president and Tom Stanton, Tom Stanton becoming AD, uh, the Lord was was very much involved in that. And, you know, we were able to build a stadium and build a program. And a very nice stadium at that time. We moved to Texas um, in spring of 2000. My wife's a Baylor Bear, and I'm a big baseball fan, so we spent a lot of time um, – during that time there. And, you know, you've talked about your Baylor days, and, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about accomplishments, total wins, postseason appearances, trip to Omaha, players drafted. Um, also, I was reading, you know, academic success was was high as well of the team. So, you know, I was thinking maybe um, if you'd share about maybe a player or two that, that really stands out that you coach, maybe because what they did on the field or even off the field. I, can, I mean, I can think of a lot of guys that – um, since we started following Baylor baseball, uh, David Murphy, Jason Jennings, I mean, the list goes on and on. I was just curious if you had – I know it's hard to, to pick one or two, but if there's somebody that just really stands out that um, for, for whatever reason. 
It is hard. It's really hard, and and I'm I'm reluctant to even do it. But I, you know, there's there's, and again, I there'd be a lot, but there's two that come to mind for kind of different reasons, really. Uh, one of them is Mark McCormick. Mm. Uh, Mark grew up down in Houston, uh, Clear Creek area, uh, and was a very very highly recruited kid. Was a potential high draft kid, um, uh, you know, may may be the best arm in terms of velocity, uh, one of the best that's ever played there, um, and and was not very highly thought of as a student, hmm. and and so when we signed him, the chances of us keeping him and him actually coming to Baylor were were not very good. But ultimately, he did. He turned down a considerable amount of money out of high school, and he came to Baylor. Wow. And, and there's several things here. I mean, number one, I think the day that his mom dropped him off at school, she went home and left his dad. Uh, and that was the first inkling that I had hmm. that there had been trouble in the home while Mark was growing up. And I think it revolved around a lot around alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, so I now got this guy who's a, who's a, a you know, a tremendous talent and he's in our program. And I started to realize he had trouble with alcohol. Uh, and, but the thing that, that we really connected on, and I mean, I mean, that, this guy had so much passion and he, he had something burning so deep inside of him. Mark would come sit in my office uh, on days, and, you know, a lot of the times it would be it would because of trouble. <laughs> but, but, but almost always a tear would start rolling down his face. Mm. And, and I, you know, I just, this guy was, there was something so special about him on the inside to me that I, I felt like even though we came from such different homes, I couldn't have come from a better home. He came from a really tough home and I was a student, you know, mom was a teacher. He was, you know, he really wasn't that, you know, school was just, you know, he was on his way to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I thought we were so much alike. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, uh, that guy got his, he ultimately was a first round pick. Uh, he went out and played and they pretty much had to tear the Jersey off of him. He had a lot of injuries. Uh, ESPN did a 30 for 30 on him because he went down to, he went, he went out of the country to, to try some, you know, unapproved treatment on his shoulder because he wanted to play so bad. Wow. And and that's, and that's how I related to him. The guy wanted to play so bad. And then when it was finally over, you know, he, he, he didn't get his degree from Baylor. He drove himself every day from Waco to Stephenville and he got his degree at Tarleton. Hmm. And the, and the guy ultimately got a college degree. He's, he's still living in Waco. He's married. He's a father. I mean, he has, he has really, I promise you, he has exceeded so many expectations of so many people in his life. And I just, you know, he's one that I just, I'm just, just really proud of him and, and what he's done with himself and, and who he is. You know, and the other one just bring, it brings back a memory of a game. And the other one's a guy named Ryan LaMotta. And Lamada's from Houston also, and Lamada and McCormick are polar opposites. Lamada, at least in some ways, Lamada was a great student, uh, was not a great pro prospect, but he was a phenomenal competitor. Mm. And and the last game that got pitched at Baylor was an NCAA regional game at Rice against Arizona State. And it was a game in which it had started the day before it got rain delayed after an inning. We came back the next day, started the game up and, and Ryan started the, the, the suspended game in the second inning. And there was a point in that game where the head coach of Arizona state, who's quite a character at that time, 
he is on the mound nose to nose with our pitcher. Hmm. I mean, we're, we, we have, we're about to have what looks like a confrontation and maybe even a fight on the mound between Ryan Amata, the Baylor pitcher, and Pat Murphy, the head baseball coach at Arizona State. And it's in an NCAA tournament, so, you know, the, cam, you know, the attention to that, well, four umpires are running to the mound, you know, at that point, trying to make sure something crazy doesn't happen. And, and I knew Murph, I knew coach Murphy well, and he, he, he's trying, it's, it's more gamesmanship with him than it was actually the threat of a fight. Mm. He's trying to intimidate this kid. He's trying to get in his head and in, in an attempt to win this game. And, you know, and Murphy eventually about two months later, he wrote me a letter and apologized for the whole thing. But when it was happening, I knew it wasn't going to work because I knew who Ryan was. <laughs> yeah. And I literally was sitting in the dugout with my legs crossed and my arms are resting on the bench thinking you can try this, but it ain't going to work. <laughs> well, jump forward to the ninth inning of this game. We're up by two runs. They're hitting in the bottom of the ninth. LaMotta is still in the game. They get a couple of guys on. I think we made an error, maybe a walk. He's been out there for a long time. I got somebody warming up in the pen. I go out to the mound. We have a conversation. I go back to the dugout. Next guy gets on. So now there's one out. The bases are loaded. All right. And we're up by two. It's a bottom of the ninth inning, up by two, bases loaded. I've got, you know, I've got a fresh arm in the bullpen, or I've got Ryan LaMotta, who's been out there for eight innings, still on the mound. Well, I thought, you know what, this ain't right. I need to get this guy the game and get the next guy in. So I started out of the dugout. This was at Rice, and it's a pretty good walk from the first base dugout where we were out to the foul line you know, to go on the field. And so I was about halfway out there and, and Ryan, he, he noticed I was coming. And so he knew if I came out there, I had to take him out because it would be my second trip in that inning. He steps off the rubber. He turns and faces me coming out of the dugout. And at the top of his lungs, he yells, no. Wow. I mean, it was unbelievable. He just looked straight at me as I'm walking out there and screamed at the top of his lungs, no. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I raised both arms up like in surrender. And I looked right at him and I said, you got it, big boy. Go get him. Wow. And I turned around, I turned around and walked back to the dugout and sat down. And I've never enjoyed the last two outs of a game any more than that. <laughs> he... Uh, he got a fly ball. They scored a run, so they made the one-run game, and then he strikes out the next guy on three pitches, and the game's over. And I'm looking across the field at Coach Murphy, you know, and he the first thing he did was take his hat off. And Pat Murphy, by the way, right now is a, is a bench coach for the Milwaukee Brewers. This guy's in the big leagues with the Brewers. He takes his hat off and starts walking across the field, stuck out his hand to me to shake my hand and simply said, and pardon me for quoting him, he said, that kid pitched a hell of a game. Wow. And, it, you know, so that game and that kid, now, you know, a few weeks later, LaMotta gets drafted. Well, how many kids get drafted and decide, no, I'm not going to go? Ryan Lamotta did that. And he came to me and he says, Coach, he says, I know you're not going to understand this. He says, but I'm done. Wow. He said, the last, my last game is going to be that game. It's not going to be a game in the minor league somewhere. And I'm going to start working on my graduate degree, which he did. You know, Ryan's very successful now down in Houston in financial services. And I could tell you a bunch more, but McCormick and Lamotta, you know, couldn't be more different, but also couldn't be more alike. And for me, you know, I felt like I, I connected with both of them. That's good. I'm glad you shared about Mark McCormick because I remember just as a, a fan, I mean, never – I don't think I've seen a guy pitch live with that much velocity 
but I, I do remember the, the injuries. But I can think of a couple games of him pitching complete games and just – I've just never seen anything like it. So it's kind of cool to hear the, the rest of the story, if you will, of fighting through the injuries and what he's doing now. So that, that's great. That is awesome. So, um, you know, I can – you mentioned earlier about – coaching both your boys at Baylor, and my wife and I still talk about every time we go to a, ba- uh, a Baylor baseball game about, you know, the early years of us going, seeing your, seeing your two boys with their number 34 T-shirts and Smith on the back and always running around the stadium, running around the field, and, you know, and then watching them grow up as fans and then, you know, going to both play at Baylor. So I was just um, – are they still around the, the game of baseball now? Well, both of them have graduated Baylor. Uh, Case, the younger one, you know, when, when I, when I left after 15, uh, he had a decision to make, Mm -hmm. uh, he could, he could have transferred, which I'll be quite honest with you as the dad at that point in time, I really, you know, I did not discourage that at all. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, I, I took him on a couple of visits at the end of the day, Case, Case decided to stay. Hmm. And even through the even through the fall, he was there in the fall semester. Uh, and of course, this is at a period of time where our, our our family, in a lot of ways, has just been completely blown up. Uh, Melinda, Melinda, and I are, you know, in one part of the country. Case is still there at Baylor, and Ryan had Ryan had transferred to Louisville. And so I remember seeing Case at Thanksgiving of that fall. And I was, once again, I said to him, I said, well, you ready to, you ready to transfer and go play. And, you know, and I had been, I, I had said that to him probably three or four times, you know, throughout the end of that summer and into that fall, because I didn't want him to have any regrets. Right. And, and plus as a dad, I was selfish. I wanted him to keep playing. Mm. And, but when I said that to him at Thanksgiving, he stopped and he looked me straight in the eye and he says, dad, I'm exactly where I need to be. Wow. And I, I, I've never said another word to him. He, he finished his degree at Baylor. Uh, he is on staff at First Baptist Church Woodway. Uh, he's married. Um, and God's really worked in his life and using him. And he, he, he has ministered to me on several occasions through the last two years when I've gone through some some struggles with all that's gone on. He has been a, he has been a real, a real minister, both to me and to his older brother, Ryan. Wow. Ryan, Ryan, you know, had gotten hurt during 15 and actually was rehabbing from Tommy John, uh, went to Louisville, uh, and that, that rehab, you know, did not go great. Uh, wound up costing him another year. Ultimately, and he was starting grad school. He he was able because he had a degree from Baylor and eligibility remaining. He could transfer anywhere and be eligible right away. So he went to Louisville, and but the rehab didn't go well. And he ultimately left there and finished at Angelo State. Hmm. So last spring, last spring he went to Angelo State. Finally pitched after about two years of rehab. He went 11 and one there. And at the same time, he went over and volunteered in their football program. Because Ryan, you know, Ryan, if dad, if dad was still coaching baseball or at Baylor for sure, if there hadn't been any break in the action, Ryan would probably be coaching. He'd be wanting to coach baseball. That's just kind of what he, that's, that's probably what he always saw himself doing. But I have thought for a long time that he was a football coach and he played through high school. He was very successful. He's very good. And he was not because he was such a super talent physically. He was so smart. He was so insightful. He had such a mind for it. And so long story short, he went back to Angelo this past fall. He took his last three hours online from Louisville, got his master's degree from Louisville, and he coached football, helped coach football at Angelo State. And right now he's chasing pretty much every entry level division one football job he can find. So, you know, cases in ministry, Ryan's headed in coach. Wow. That's awesome. So I honestly feel like, you know, 
they got half, you know, one of them's got half my heart and the other's got the other half. And, uh, and fortunately they've got all of their mom, um, because she's really the one who's, you know, you know, she's the one who's had the biggest impact on them. I think. That's awesome. You talked to, um, you know, you've mentioned your faith throughout this, this conversation and we know, you know, that has impacted the way you coach, um, and you've, we've also, you've kind of mentioned 2015, your last year at Baylor. And, you know, I, I can't imagine how difficult, you know, you mentioned you felt like your family was blown up, but, and I know just a l- brief little glimpse that we've seen, you know, through social media, I mean, your faith remains strong. I mean, a lot of times, you know, in our walk with God, we grow through adversity. So, um, I was curious if there's something specifically the Lord taught you during that difficult time of, you know, one chapter ending and kind of waiting or, you know, is there a scripture that God brought to you during that time that, that you'd share? You know, Stuart, I've, I've been on a journey, you know, honestly, for a long time. I, I would say that, that the time that the whole time I, I was at Baylor, I felt like it still went back to 1980 when I transferred from Mississippi college. I, I felt like I was on this, this journey. And in some ways i I felt a bit like a missionary. I was, I was in a place that was home, but at the time didn't feel like home because of me, you know, because I, my roots are so deep, you know, in Mississippi. And, and, and so I always felt a little bit uh, like a missionary. Um, and then in 2008, irony of ironies, if, if you believe in irony, I don't believe in irony, by the way. Uh, <laughs> to 2008, uh, I, you know, we went through a, a disappointing year. We, we didn't make the NCAA tournament for the first time in a number of years. And I got offered a job um, in, after that season. Kind of, that's, that's kind of an interesting timing, too. It's a bad, it, was a bad, it was a bad season on a lot of fronts. Uh, had a new president at Baylor. Uh, who wasn't, uh, he, he, he was like that Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Um, you know, he, he didn't, baseball wasn't his cup of tea. Um, you know, so we, 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 you know, the program, they sort of lost, it was losing favor at the time. Uh, and I get this offer, I get this job opportunity. And, and it was a great opportunity. Uh, it was a, it was a, there was not anything about it that was, not good. Hmm. And, and I remember sitting on the plane, uh, headed back to Waco, uh, in the airport in Atlanta. And I was sitting there, uh, starting to pull my thoughts together on staff, on, on all the, on the move and all that kind of stuff. I had already had, I had already had a final conversation with the athletic director at Baylor. Um, explaining that I had had this offer and he wished me well, uh, thanked me for my service to Baylor. Um, and that we hung up the phone. Hmm. And as I sat there on that plane, I began to have the most uneasy feeling I'd ever had in my life. And I, I sat there and I, I said, for the first time, I said, Lord, I said, what are you trying to teach me? Wow. I said, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. I, uh, I don't understand why I don't have a piece about this. Uh, you know, I had been, you know, I'd been beaten up a little bit in the media and I'd been beaten up a little bit, you know, anytime it gets public, you know, that you are interviewing or that you have interviewed for a job, you know, you're going to be out for public referendum and the people that like you are going to, are going to want to keep you. And the people that don't like you or they want you gone and, and that, that was a really tough time. And so I, I'm sitting there wondering why in the world am I not just so thrilled at this open door and why am I not jumping at this? Why do I, I mean, I mean, we have already said our goodbyes, mm-hmm. what's going on. And I, so I said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And, and Stuart is, as honestly as I can say this, he, he, he said it right away to me. He said, humility. Hmm. And, and so, 
I had a choice to make, and I do believe at this day I could have left. I don't think this was a decision that that was a right or wrong decision. I don't think this was one of those times in life where where there is a path that's absolutely the right path or a path that's not. I think God gave me a choice. Hmm. He gave me He gave me a choice. I could leave, uh, and and He was still going to teach me humility. I think, uh, or I could stay, and and deal with you know the reality that, eh, you know what, they really didn't care if you left. And, you know, that's going to be tough. You're going to have some tough days. Uh, I did not think at that time that it was going to end, that it was going to lead to how it ended. Right. Uh, But I tell you that to tell you that this journey has been a constant. I have been seeking since 2008. It, 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 my antennas went up after I decided to stay at Baylor and I called and let Ian McCall know I was going to stay. Uh, my antennas have been up for the last 10 years. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? It has driven me to my knees. I've not always handled it. Well, uh, you, you talk about, you know, my faith and the impact of faith on coaching in yes and no. I mean, there've been many, there've been way, way many days that I didn't coach out of faith. Hmm. Uh, and you know, but that's, uh, that's life. And that's, that's all of us. Uh, Absolutely. I, I, but I have, you know, I have grown, uh, since 2015, I've had more time on my hands. I've actually, the one thing that I, that I did within the first year and a half after 15 is I read through the entire Bible. Mm. Uh, and I journaled. 365 days. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I've been, I've been a student of the Bible pretty much, you know, since I became a Christian back when I was nine and 10 years old, I've, you know, the Bible's always been a part of my life, but, but I've never intentionally sat down and read through the entire Bible and literally journaled each day. And that's what I did. And there were a lot of days when I was very, very down and very discouraged, wondering if I had made a mistake back in 2008, Mm. wondering, you know, just wondering, you know, God, are you really in this? Or is this just, you know, am I really just out here, you know, reaping what I've sowed? Mm. And on multiple occasions, he would affirm through either scripture or through a phone call, or through a text, or through something, some circumstance, something unexpected, he would affirm me that, hang in there, you're exactly where I want you to be, you're doing what I want you to do, keep going. Wow. And as we speak right now, uh, in January of 2018, my day started that same way today. Wow. Uh, I, I rarely have a day that I don't get up and think about 2008, that I don't think about 2015 and a lot of the days in between. And then, and the reward will grab me and will bring you back to right now. And he will just remind me, Love the people that are in front of you today. I'm still working in your life. The best is yet to come. Wow, that's good. And and that that's that's where I am today. Wow, that's awesome. That's very good. Now you mentioned um, you know faith impacting your coaching, but some days more than others. And so we, I know we have a lot of student athletes and coaches that listen to this. So. Um, kind of piggybacking off of that comment you made, what's uh, maybe some encouragement or advice you'd offer a coach that um, is a believer, is coaching, and really wants their faith to impact every aspect of the coaching? Well, I, I um, the one thing that that I that I feel like I have uh, kind of hung on to is the, is the ability to ask for forgiveness. Hmm. And I think none of us, and particularly in coaching, we're, we're all, we're all going to do things as coaches in the heat of the battle 
that we're not proud of, uh, that we regret, that we'd like to, to do over again. Well, there are, there are all kinds of examples of that very thing throughout Scripture. Um, I, mean, I mean, Peter denied Christ mm-hmm. three times. That's right. Uh, if, if not more, we know of three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing, that, the thing that we have to do as coaches, I think, as, as, as followers of Jesus, is we've got to be real. And when we blow it, and we know we blow it, and we we've been convicted by it. We stand up in front of our team, and we and we uh, we take ownership of it, and we repent of it, and we ask their forgiveness. I think I think I think people in general, whether whether they're they're Christians or, or not, uh, they want honesty. Mm-hmm. Players want honesty. Players want honesty for sure. Now, they may not always be able to handle it, but but. That's really what they want, uh, and that's what they deserve. And and when we when we as Christian coaches fall short, we've got to own it, uh, and we've got to we've got to seek their forgiveness. Uh, I think when we do that, we model we model Christianity right before them. Uh, we teach them how to be fathers mm. because they're going to do they're going to do the same thing. You know, I mean, we, my gosh, I, I've had to ask forgiveness from my family. I've had to ask my, nobody knows me better than Melinda, Ryan, and Case. I mean, they, 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 they know many things I'm not proud of. Uh, and to me, that's, that's a big part of what we do as coaches. Um, back in, back in the early days, 1998, uh, I was sitting in Houston at a, at a clinic, baseball coaches clinic, and a guy up speaking uh, said these words. I don't even know who this was or even what his topic was, but he said something. And when he said it, I really, my ears, you know, peaked up. And he said, players don't need a motto to say, they need a model to see. Ooh, that's very good. And, and, you know, it was at a time when, when I was, I was really into mottos. You, you go to the bookstore, you won't read any, you'll read a lot of books about, about mottos. Um, everybody's looking for the latest catchphrase. And, uh, and I remember when I heard that, I said, you know what? The Lord's telling you something here. Uh, they don't need a motto. They need a model. And, and that's, we model during victory. We model during defeat. We model when, We've made a great decision. We model when we've made a horrible one. We model when we're angry. We model when we're thrilled. You know, we, even my getting fired. I mean, I got fired after 21 years by my alma mater. Mm-hmm. It, it took a whopping total of 10 minutes, you know, maybe. It came with zero discussion, uh, and I had choice to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I saw it. You know, by the grace of God, by totally by the grace of God, I knew that however I responded to that moment, I was continuing to model mm. that that I owed 21 years of players, and and however many fans you know would care, you know I owed I owed them the model, and that's what I tried to do, and that ain't that is not easy. Uh, at all. Uh, I mean, it's not, especially in today's world where it is so easy to put your thoughts out there and to take your shots uh, and to vent and everything else. You just got so many platforms to do it. And, you know, by the grace of God, I have tried not to do that. Um, You know, so to me, you got to model forgiveness. Both in asking, both in asking for it, and also in granting it. That that's a great, that's a great word. I actually I just wrote that down because just even as a as a dad, my oldest is fourteen, and we have twins that are eleven. Not that I go around the house with a lot of mottos, but just that whole model to see that 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 really spoke to my heart. Just as as a dad as well, that just a reminder that they're watching. Um, how I handle my good days, but more importantly, how I handle the bad days. So that's very good. Very good. Well, well, God did the same thing for us. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, God, God didn't give us a motto to say. He gave us a model to see. Amen. Amen. That's good. Well, I appreciate, again, thank you for, for taking time to do this. And we've talked about a lot with sports, but, you know, I think that that's a great way to, to kind of put a bow on it and wrap this thing up. It's just to, just for all of us, just to be a model for what, um, for what Jesus has done for us, for us to love others as Jesus has loved us. So, again, Coach Smith, thanks for taking the time to join, join me today. And um, this has been a real treat for me, and I look forward to watching some Auburn baseball this spring. And, you know, we'll just keep praying that, you know, that, that God continues to use you wherever you may be. Stuart, I really appreciate it. It's, it you blessed me by allowing me to share my heart. I really appreciate it. Uh, to the Bears out there, I'll say sick them. And uh, to, uh, to my new War Eagle family, it's good to be here. Awesome. Wow, what a powerful story from Coach Steve Smith. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I know I took a lot away from that. I actually took some notes as we're having the conversation on the phone, um, recording that, and I've got my pen and paper jotting down notes about forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, how much we need to, we need to practice forgiveness because, after all, God forgives us. So we need to be forgiving people. And another thing was just Spending time in the Word and journaling. I know I don't do enough of that. So just the encouragement that he took away from that first year of uh, away from baseball was the time in the Word. And the last thing that I loved was what he learned at a coaching clinic. We don't need another motto to say. We need more models to see. So I just encourage you, no matter if you're an athlete, a coach, a mom, a dad, whatever, wherever you are in life, It's not about what we tweet, what we post on Facebook, the quotes. It's how we live our life. That's what this world needs is models to see. We need to model Jesus in everything we do. And I would encourage you to really think about that. How are you living your life every day? Are you loving people the way Jesus loves you? And that's unconditionally. Because after all, that's what's going to change the culture. There is nothing that anybody else can do, not the government, not any organization. It's how we live our lives. That's what's going to change the culture, and it's modeling Jesus every day to others. So I hope you, too, were encouraged by that. Again, share it with family and friends. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our Facebook page, All In Sports Outreach. Send us a message. You can also see upcoming outreach opportunities, both in Texas and in Alabama. You can see how to pray for us, opportunities to serve with us, opportunities to give to help continue the ministry. And also check out our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. You can see our leadership teams, a little bit about our history, upcoming events. You can also communicate with us through the website. And you can also link to most recent newsletters, um, all of our podcast episodes. So a lot of information out there. So just please go to the website. And the last thing I would ask you is to go to iTunes, click leave a review, and give us a review for this podcast. The more reviews we get, the more visible this podcast becomes, the bigger the platform of sharing the love of Jesus through stories of faith and sports. Thank you for faith and listening. Thank you for sharing this episode with others. And until next time, thank you so much.